When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Sunday, June 3rd, 2018, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your Boston Celtics episode 265 featuring Mike Gorman and the Athletics' Derek Bodner is brought to you by Casper. Go to casper.com backslash Celtics and use the promo code Celtics for $50 off select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. Well, you can add the 2017-2018 Boston Celtics to the list of teams that LeBron James has conquered throughout his illustrious career in Game 7. Welcome inside. Celtics meet everybody. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman still. He'll be back shortly. Don't worry about it. But uh, until then, you're stuck with me. Follow me on Twitter at Evan Valenti, E-V-A-N-V-A-L-E-N-T-I. Same stuff as Adam talks to you about right off the top of the show. Make sure you subscribe to Celtics Beat. Again, we're coming back to you on Sundays after what was a crazy playoff schedule. Now we're back to our usual Sundays. And also make sure you subscribe to, to CLNS Media on YouTube. Again, we upload all of our post-game sound throughout the regular season of the postseason. We'll be at every press conference, all this stuff. So make sure you get not only just our fresh content at CLNS Media uh, Network on YouTube, but also the stuff, you know, talking with Brad Stevens, talking with all the players, talking with Danny, all that stuff, again, you can find on our YouTube page and our new website, clnsmedia.com, and, of course, the CLNS Media Network YouTube page. We're going to make this fairly quick because we have two absolutely stellar guests lined up for the show, and you're probably here to listen to them than you are more than you are listen, to listen to me, and I'm not offended by that at all whatsoever. Just want to th- just real quickly sum up the season here for the Celtics because it was an amazing season. We've been very lucky and very fortunate the past couple of years to have just really fun things to watch on television for about six, seven, eight months here. It, it really has been another fun season watching this team grow, get better. I mean, Jalen Brown, maybe the poster child of of guys that work really hard and get better and improve on their game season to season. Terry Rozier, another guy. Jason Tatum improved so much from day one to the end of this year. I mean, think about you know, who he was at the start of the year and at the end of the year in game seven, he's going against LeBron James trying to match him shot for shot. And it was really one of the only guys in that game, game seven, that showed up for, uh, for what is now the final game of the Celtics season. 
how this team grows in the offseason will be very interesting. What they do with future contracts is going to be very interesting. It's going to be another busy summer here for the Boston Celtics. feels like it, there is no downtime. It always feels like we got to go, 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 go. I mean, the past three years, two, three years have been absolutely insane. You go back to last season, it was an amazing season. Isaiah Thomas's incredible year uh, comes to an end. Again, in the Eastern Conference Finals, the hand of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Then you have the whole speculation of the offseason. What is Boston going to do with the number one pick? Will they land Gordon Hayward? They have the IT trade for Kyrie. Kyrie comes in. All of a sudden now it's training camp, preseason. Everything goes by so quickly. And now that we are here at the end of the journey here in 2018, it's easy to reflect and, and think back positively on what was just an, an, an amazing season to watch. Uh, and again, I can't wait until basketball starts up again for the Celtics. I'm enjoying the NBA Finals, as I hope a lot of you are. Um, but even that still being said, there's still a little part of me that's that's missing here with the Celtics not playing for the next couple of months. I can't wait until Summer League gets here, but I'm sure a lot of you out there probably could use a break from Celtics content. Uh, speaking of Celtics content, coming up next, I, I, look, this has been a long life dream for me. I cannot wait to get this conversation started. So let's welcome in Mike Gorman. I, I hate to start here, Mike, because it's been kind of a national news story. But uh, I, I did take a little quick dip this morning onto Twitter. Noticed, Mike, it's been a while since the last time you tweeted. Do you have any burner accounts we have to know about? <laughs> you know, Adam Kaufman, who normally hosts this show, uh, who also sends his regards, by the way, he got Sean Grandy to admit that Sean – has a secret Twitter account that nobody knows about. Are, 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 is that the same thing? Same case here with you, Mike? No, not me. I'm too old for a secret account. <laughs> All right, good. I know it's hard to play this game, especially with a guy like yourself, Mike, who's been around the team for for so long. Um, season just ended, and you know you try to put some certain storylines together. And I know, and I hate this question because. Um, only because it's, 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 it's really hard to quantify right now, just ended a couple of days ago, but you know, this was a pretty special season for the Boston Celtics in your uh, estimation, Mike, what about this season specifically stands out? How will you remember the 2017, 2018 Boston Celtics? I think I remember it most for the effort that this team put out every single night. Uh, you know, it's, it's a cliche in this business that uh, you talk about people playing hard and uh, you, you get extra credit for playing hard when a lot of us think that playing hard should be part of <laughs> what you do every night anyway. But uh, this team did typify that. They came out and they played hard just about every night. Uh, they had a never-quit attitude about them, which offered so many comebacks that they had this year. Um, they were as good a regular season team, one of the top four or five regular season teams that I've been around in my 30-plus years of doing that. Uh, just because of, again, their intensity, their focus, their willingness to make the right basketball play, and their willingness to play the game the way Brad sees it, which I think a lot of us believe is the right way to play. I, I, I agree with you. I think Brad's you know, genius, so to speak, is, is, is definitely in play here. I think Danny gets credit, too. I think what Danny's been able to do over the past couple of years is you know, find guys that fit what Brad and Danny want like I think Marcus Smart is like a perfect example of this where you know Marcus you know he might not be the best shooter on the planet but you know at the end of the game you want that guy out there they have a bunch of guys that even at the end of the season you know we're going to get in the gym and work hard and 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 you know bust their ass to try and get better for next season I think Jalen Brown is like the perfect example of that or maybe even Terry Rozier is the perfect example of that are you surprised Mike how quickly the culture in Boston has kind of taken hold 
Um, no, I'm not really because of, because of Danny. Uh, he's really the focal point. I mean, Brad gets obviously the, the day-to-day credit uh, for coaching the games, but it's remarkable that Danny, as a guy who was a very good NBA player, was an NBA coach, uh, was a Major League Baseball player, is a near-scratch golfer when he keeps his mind to it, and it turns out the best thing that he does is be general manager of a franchise. Um, and, and that's really what he has set the bar so high. And I think one of the things the Celtics have done is, is they, they, they make character an issue, which uh, isn't necessarily true with a lot of teams around the league. And so they know coming in, they, they pay a lot of attention to the interviews that they do at uh, the Combine and, and with potential draft picks and with guys they're going to trade for. Uh, the interview that they have counts a whole lot, whereas with a lot of teams that's just kind of a necessary evil to get the player onto the court. Uh, the Celtics make decisions on guys based on character, and it shows with the way that uh, this team now and this franchise now is back in a position where they have a way that they do things. There is a Celtics way, and if you fit that way, fine. If you don't, good luck. We'll see you later. Sounds an awful lot like the, like the Patriots a little bit. You know, the Celtics way, the Patriots way. You come in, you put your heart in on, you work together as a team to get, you know, for one goal. It sounds like me. And I know the admiration goes both ways. I know Bill Belichick has spoken very highly of Brad Stevens. And if you're Brad, I don't think you can get a compliment, uh, a better compliment from anybody else in sports, Mike. No, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, Bill comes to games. Uh, Bob Kraft is at games a lot. There's a, uh, these two franchises, uh, even though they're in different sports, are, are very close. It's really nice to see in the city of Boston that, too, that, uh, you know, guys are, not, are rooting for each other to succeed, not rooting for each other to get out of the way so they can get the headlines on the sports page. Yeah, I like that, too. You mentioned a little while ago about, you know, how – Brad gets a lot of credit for what Boston does on the court and then, and, and that Danny should get more. And, I, and I'm like in the very weird, uh, it's, I guess it's a hot take if you want to call it this, but I, I, I believe, and I, and I'm not trying to slander Brad Stevens at all. I think Brad is a terrific coach. I think he's one of the best three coaches in the game. You could argue he's the best, but I, I don't think I'd go that far quite yet. Um, but I do think Brad gets a little bit too much credit for the success of the Boston Celtics because, again, you have Danny in the front and the rest of the front office, Mike Zarin, you know, Austin Ainge, a bunch of guys that do great jobs of scouting uh, and bringing right guys in. And then you, you also take away from the players. Like, again, Jalen, I said this with Jeff Goodman the other day, Jalen Brown went from a 20% three-point shooter in college to a 40% three-point shooter this year, his second year in the, in the NBA. Now, I think Brad has a way with words and how I think he knows how to speak to guys to motivate them the right way. But yet, you know, Brad's not the guy putting extra time in the gym. You know, he's not the guy that's after practice or after a game or in the middle of the summer working on uh, on all these things. I think that even with again, Brad is a phenomenal coach, but I do think Brad does get a little bit too much credit for how good the Boston Celtics are. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably on the opposite side of the fence. I think he gets uh, the credit that is due him, and I think he's very good at deflecting that credit back onto the team. Um, it's not like he's a guy who basks in the uh, praises that he receives. He's very uh, humble, actually, about most of them, or will dismiss the whole situation of coach of the year, coaches not voting for him or whatever. He he always takes the high road. Um, I, I just think they're a great combination. Um, one of the things that I, I, is very impressive about Brad is he's, he is very willing to, to take the players that are given to him and then go and make the best with that group. Um, he's not really <clears> – <throat> he has input in, in terms of 
who the Celtics draft and who they go after. But that's really Danny's domain, and Brad chooses wisely, I think, not to try to take any power away from from Danny. So he lets Danny go do his thing, go do his scouting thing, do the interviews. He comes back to Brad. This is where we're going. And Brad, to my knowledge, for the most part, is right in step with with, with Danny uh, when that happens. You know, there's a lot of coming up in the future here for the Boston Celtics. So the future is bright, but I think there are some tough decisions coming, Mike. And look at the future of the backcourt. Maybe not the starting backcourt. It looks like Kyrie Irving, for the most part, Jalen Brown probably penciled in as your starting one and two players. And again, again, those numbers don't really mean anything anymore with positionless basketball at this point. But you look at the, you know, Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier. You know, Marcus becoming a re- restricted free agent this summer. And, look, I know the Celtics would love for him to be on the team next year. I think a lot of people, you know, either around the team or watch the team, understand how important Marcus is to the team, regardless of the fact that he might be one of the worst volume shooters in in NBA history. But in in your estimation, Mike, how how hard is it really to measure Smart's impact on the game? Do you believe that Smart, maybe regardless of the numbers, back on the team? Because it feels like he's a big part of the culture that Boston has been able to build. I agree with you on all of that. I think Marcus is a special player. I think the things he does, you have to see to understand. Um, the stat sheet doesn't uh, really does him justice as to what he did over the course of a game. And he has a knack for making uh, the big play, and the big play not necessarily in, in basketball. The big play usually results in either two or three points. Uh, he makes the big play in resulting in change of possession. Um, and his hustle, his demeanor, his his attitude on the court is contagious with the other guys. Um, again, I'm no uh, salary cap uh, guru, but I would do everything I possibly could to uh, to re-sign Marcus Smart. Did you see the thing? I think Tom Westerholm had this of Mass Live, but apparently the Celtics had to kind of uh, take away – like they used to scrimmage at the end of the year, but I guess Marcus like couldn't tone it down. So they had, to, they had to scrimmage less and less at the end of the year to save bodies and save energy. I think that's just the type of guy you want in your franchise. Maybe it's not a guy you quote-unquote build around, but it's a guy that's valuable because he's going to push the other guys on his team to be better. I mean, Mike, how many times have you seen it where Smart enters the game and the chemistry – on the floor and the energy on the floor changes immediately. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that that's why, again, I think you do whatever you can to sign him. I don't, um, you know, the days of the Evan Turner contract, I think have slipped by very quickly. And so money is going to be a little, be, there'll be a little less money out there. Um, I'm guessing you and I have never been in this position. I'll speak for you here. Um, but if, if somebody offers you $14 million a year uh, for three years or so, or somebody else offers you $16 million a year for three years or so, I would hope that you would make the basis, your decision on the basis of where you wanted to play, what, what the team looked like, what their chances to win a championship were, what, what kind of chemistry you would have where you landed. Because whether you're making $12 million a year, whether you're making $14 million a year, or even if you're making $16 million a year, it, it, I can't imagine your lifestyle is going to change a whole lot. So... Um, it was a little disconcerting when I saw some quotes from Marcus's agent saying that Marcus was going to take the money. Uh, I hope it doesn't come down to that. I hope he is able to look at it and say, you know, I'd rather have a $12 million life in Boston than a $14 million life in Brooklyn. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, I think it depends on the sport. I think in football, it's a little bit different where your next snap could be your last sort of thing. Yep. So I don't really have a problem with guys chasing money in football just because – you know, I, I just I feel like if you have an opportunity, like you know, that t- extra two million, you know, might go a long way just for medical bills later. In basketball, I, I tend to agree with you because it gets a little bit less of a contact sport. But you know, you talk about Smart and his fit on the team. 
and the, the conversation, Mike, I think naturally always shifts to Terry Rozier and what becomes yep. of him and, and, and what he – I mean, again, give a guy a lot of credit. You go back to – I think it was either his first or second year where he played – you know, in the playoffs in that in that opening round series against Atlanta where Boston was decimated with injuries, he had to play way more than he did in the regular season, and, he, and obviously he was not ready for that. You fast forward to now, I mean, you can make the argument in Game 6 of the NBA uh, Eastern Conference Finals, he was the best player on the floor for the Boston Celtics. Now, Game 7 mm-hmm. wasn't as nice to him, but you look at you know Smart, you look at Rozier, Jalen Brown, I just have a hard time seeing Terry Rozier fit in here do you think Boston has to choose between Boston between Marcus and Terry long term I think ultimately they're going to have to make a come up with some way to keep them both I know that sounds crazy but I think that's what the long-term goal would be is to figure out some way to to to, uh, to keep them both and you know we don't know with injuries and, and things happen over the course of a season um that the, they need to deal with the Marcus Smart situation right now uh, Terry Rozier, I believe they don't have to deal with till next year. Is that true? You're correct on that. Yeah, I, I, I would probably let things sit and, and know that I had an outstanding backup point guard in Rozier. Try to get him as many minutes as possible. Maybe take some of the pressure off Kyrie to play high 30s. Maybe he plays low 30s in terms of minutes, or high 20s even. Um, I would, but again, Marcus Smart is what the Celtics need to deal with because I think he more than Terry, and this isn't meant to any slight against Terry, but more than he, as we have talked about here, uh, defines what the culture is here in Boston and is uh, is really the poster boy for that. Yeah, and maybe the way with that is to manage minutes. And Brad, I think, did a remarkable job of doing that during the regular season. I don't think Boston had a single player in the top 50 in terms of minutes played this year. I might be wrong. I think Al might be in the in the 50 range. But other than Al, I don't think anybody even sniffed the top 50 in terms of minutes played, yeah. which is, again, a testament to how Brad runs his team. And, again, just my big question is, you know, where do the minutes for Terry Rozier come? Because he's he's a really good point guard, and he's going to get better in the offseason. He's going to come back. He's going to be a better version of what he was this past season. He deserves a chance to start. I think he I think he knows that. I think his agent definitely knows that at this point. Mm-hmm. I just I don't know where the minutes come from, but maybe your point of maybe this is how they save Kyrie a little bit going forward. Do you have any concerns? I mean, there's always injury concerns in any sport you play. It doesn't really matter what it is, but long term with Kyrie or with Gordon Hayward, any long term you know injury concern there? I don't have any reason to have any long term injury concern with Gordon Hayward. I think Kyrie's record over the course of his career would tell you that injuries have been a problem. Um, so I think you have to be smart here and look at what the facts are and understand that maybe they may be a problem going forward, too. Um, but, but Gordon Hayward hasn't given any, any indication in the past that, that he's uh, injury jinxed by any, special, any way, shape, or form. Uh, Kyrie, on the other hand, does have a history of, of, of injuries and you know you'd like to see Kyrie hopefully it's in a, in a contact year uh, which he's in next year to have just a season of his career um, but uh, again I think the big measurement for Kyrie going forward is how many games can you reasonably reasonably expect out of him do you expect Kyrie to be here long term or do you think next year is his last year I think it's I think I don't think it's a given either way yeah I, I, I agree with that especially with Danny Ainge because you know especially after trading Isaiah Thomas, I think everything with Danny is on the table. I don't, I, I mean, as much as I want to say Jason Tatum is untradeable, uh, I, mean, I, I don't know anymore with Danny. Danny seems to, and I, and I applaud him for this. I applaud Wick for this, 
the ability to separate emotion from what the best move is. Nobody thought that trading Isaiah Thomas would be, you know, uh, in, it would be a good move for the for the future of the franchise. But they went out and got Kyrie Irving, and it's hard to argue that that that's not the the best move for them. I just with Kyrie, and I thought that the 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 recent trade gossip of trading Kyrie Irving, I thought was kind of dumb, and I don't mean to like bring anybody down I just don't see how how they don't at least see what this team looks like with with Kyrie and Gordon and a and a third year of Jalen Brown and a second year of Jason Tatum and Al Horford together I think if you're if you're Wick Grosbeck if you're Danny if you're Brad you kind of at least want to see what this team might look like you that you pictured last season I mean I don't know where you're at with the trade Kyrie stuff but I thought that was kind of uh far-fetched if you will Mike well, I mean, certainly if you're going to trade Kyrie, you get excited about what there's got to be a whole lot coming back. Um, so, again, I think Danny just – he doesn't like to put the untouchable label on anybody. Uh, I, I do think Tatum is untouchable myself. Um, I think it would take some unbelievable offer to, to rest him away from Boston right now. Um, but I think everybody else is probably in play to some degree. Um, uh, again, if, you, if, you, if you're talking about – the big guy from New Orleans, then you're going to have to be talking about a really, really good player to go back the other way. Um, and so, and that's the only player that I know of that the Celtics uh, really would put everybody on the table for. Um, and, and I don't think he's going to leave New Orleans, so I think that's a, a moot point. But um, Danny has a way sometimes of making things happen that don't look like they, they're going to happen. Yeah, he's had a, a remarkable run. Um, speaking of Jason Tatum, you know, I we, again we talked with Jeff Goodman last week on this show about Tatum, and, and Jeff's been one of the more vocal guys about Tatum and his ability from the start. Jason Tatum, for you, Mike, is the best Celtics rookie since who? Paul Pierce. I think I think I think Jeff wouldn't go this far, but I think he was leaning even Larry at, at that point. He said to me that he would be surprised. If if he'd be more surprised if Tatum didn't end up in the Hall of Fame, which I thought was a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty bold statement at this point in his career, but I can understand him making it. I don't think it's uh, ludicrous by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Jason has given every indication, uh, not only to us, but um, I saw a quote just recently from LeBron talking about how he thought Tatum was definitely headed for stardom in the NBA. Um, so. You know, the thing that I find most intriguing with Jason is you look at him, and, he, and even though he just turned 20, he's he's just that. He's he's a kid who just turned 20. So you 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 want to say, gee, I want to be around to see where his skill level is two or three years from now, when maybe he's about 15 to 20 pounds heavier uh, with with muscle and um, can potentially be a dominant player in this league. So um, I, I, th- I think Tatum is as close as we have on the roster to untouchable. But, um, again, Danny, uh, Danny takes all phone calls, and, that, and that's, that's his job, and, and he does it really well. And um, I think guys around the league are afraid to deal with him. But, um, again, he has, he has to, what, what people want. He has draft picks, and he has quality players. I think with Tatum, with me, like the, one of the things that I read before the season started – and some people had great quotes about it. You know, you talk, to, you listen to, and read from past coaches of Jason, whether it's in high school, whether it's his father talking about bringing him to rec league games when he was, you know, a young teenager. Uh, you know, he, you listen to guys at Duke University talk about Jason. The one thing with me, and it really came, uh, you know, it really came to the forefront the last, you know, month and a half. I think the, the entire playoffs in general, where you look at him, you're like, man, he is just a completely different player 
right now than he was at the beginning of the season. I gotta go back to this game against Atlanta early in the season where, you know, his couple of late threes in the game from the left corner really bailed out Boston, whether it was Marcus or Kyrie getting the ball didn't really matter. He had a couple of late threes, gave himself some confidence, like led the NBA in three point percentage for a couple of months to he went from that guy to being a go to scorer in game seven against LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals. I find how Jason adapts and learns and applies things to in real time. Like I find that to be one of the hardest skills to find anywhere. And you look at his age and you look at the guys around him and you're like, man, I, I, don't, I keep changing my ceiling for him. Like, does he remind you of anybody besides Paul? See, I, 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 he reminds me a lot of Paul when Paul first came in. And, 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 and that is you looked at Paul and you went, wow, this guy's better than we thought. Um, and also has a huge upside here. And I think you, would, you just addressed it really well. I think that's the whole thing with, with Tatum is all of us are intrigued, more intrigued than we've probably been with any player uh, since Paul Pierce, in my mind, um, that, wow, this kid could be really good. I mean, he could be a game changer. He's, and then we find out as the season, as you just pointed out, rolls on, that um, he's fully capable of being the go-to guy at age 20. Um, and, and didn't shrink from, from the opportunity and really didn't make a whole lot of bad plays that come to memory, made the right play at the right time. So, um, yeah, the, I, it's been, again, I would say Paul Pierce, um, Larry Bird is going a long way back in terms of excitement uh, level about a player and how good he can be, but uh, he's certainly in that conversation with Pierce and Bird. I tried to do some research in this earlier because, again, Boston's so well set up, and the rebuild has been, again, from Danny's been unbelievable. But I, I, went, I tried to go back into the Celtics history and try and, like, find maybe, you know, a team in the past that this particular iteration of the Celtics reminds people of. And I went back to the early 80s, and it's hard to kind of compare eras. I went back to the 70s, back to the 60s. Trying to find a team that this might remind people of, like, yeah, they, there's a little shade of, you know, the early 80s when they got early Bird and early McHale and they started, they, you knew they'd be good. It was just a matter of time to put things together. Does this team remind you of any Celtics team in the past, Mike? It doesn't for a couple of reasons. One is, is when you look at the Bird uh, era, it was a team that was built around the front court. Uh, and, and, and the, the backcourt guys were contributors to the, to, to the front court. The game has changed a lot. Everything is, involves wings now, and people shooting threes and spreading the floor out, um, and also hand-checking is gone. So um, the game has changed a lot, and, and so it's hard to really compare teams because they played it so played, A, under different rules, and B, uh, their points of emphasis were different. So I, I can't think of a team, again, except for Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker, where the Celtics were built much more around wing players, which is the way they're going right now, um, because that's the way the game is going. Uh, it makes it harder to, to pick. It's not, again, I'm being long-winded here, but it's not as if the game for the past 35 or 40 years has played under one set of rules and has played the same way. It's gone from a game that, emphasize punching the ball inside and getting the ball to your big guys to a game now to getting the ball to guys outside the three-point line. A couple more questions before I got get you out of here, Mike. You look at the finals right now. I know it's hard to, to not picture Boston there just because they were so close against LeBron, but again, it took a superhuman effort from LeBron in Game 7 where he played all 48 minutes. One of the most remarkable things I've ever seen considering mm -hmm. the amount of miles that guy has put on his body his entire career. 
you know, you look at how Boston, you know, you watched, you know, last night, right, where, where unfortunately, you know, a bad play by J.R. Smith cost the, the, the Cavaliers a potential steal of game one where LeBron was, again, absolutely brilliant from start to finish. But it's hard not to picture the Celtics in there trying to match up against Golden State. And even with the landscape shifting for next season, do you think that the Boston Celtics next year at full strength are the best answer to the Golden State Warriors. Yes, I do. I do. I, I agree with Scal. Scal right, would tell you today that the South is going to win the championship next year, that they'll beat Golden State. Um, I, I'm not ready to go that far. I do think this team is, is put together very, very well, and they can go out and play anybody in any style of play and, and win. Um, so, uh, yeah, I do think we're very well positioned. <clears throat> I don't have the same... <clears throat> excuse me, I don't, my voice at the end of the year is not much. I don't have the same uh, enthusiasm that Brad and in, in the, in the loss after the seventh game said that he was wish training camp opened on Wednesday. Um, that, that's a little quick for me. I need a little more time to recruit. Yeah, I think we all do, but, Mike. Uh, yeah, but I'm, uh, I, I, I do look forward to walking through the door, opening day of training camp and seeing a healthy Gordon Hayward and a healthy Kyrie and somebody that Danny will inevitably pick up in the offseason that you didn't think was going to be there who will contribute and then go see what this team can do. Yeah, I, I'm curious, and I know it's a, maybe like the 19th storyline here for the Boston Celtics, but I'm curious what happens to Aaron Baines. Because I think Baines, I mean, a lot of people might not know what he really brings to the table, but you look at a guy who hustles all the time, plays great defense, and, and you know, in, in a pinch can kind of guard guys in the wing a little bit, maybe not as well as some other bigs in the league, but does a pretty darn good job of it. That corner three-pointer was a great little uh, weapon and a little wrinkle that they showed in that series against Philly. Maybe you can build on that. I think, you know, as much as we want to talk about, you know, Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier and what's wrong with Kyrie Irving and when is Gordon coming back, like I think – you know, if they lose Baines, I mean, people forget, Mike, that this team was a bad rebounding team for a couple of years before Baines really got here and really kind of shored that up. What does Baines kind of bring to the table that Boston doesn't really have? Toughness. Toughness in the middle, uh, making guys who drive the lane look for him because they know that he's in there and going to hit people. Um, rebounding. And uh, the, the being an Australian, I, I don't know how much of a chance you've had to be around Australians, but they're just, to, to a man, they're characters, they're great team guys, they're great locker room guys. Um, Baines brings a lot to the table. I, I, I hope the Celtics find a way to keep him. I think they would be hard-pressed to come up with somebody who does as many things as he does. And, uh, again, the numbers would tell you that defensively, he's one of the better players at the five spot in the league. Last one here, Mike, before we get out of here. Has anybody had a better uh, partner as a play-by-play guy that you look at? You've had both Tommy Heinsohn and Bill Raftery, Mike. I don't know if anybody's had it better than you. No, you're right. Nobody's had it better than me. Um, those are two of the great names in terms of uh, color analysts. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll never another, be another Tommy Heinsohn in this, uh, in this league. Uh, it's been one of the thrills of my life to work with him for 37 years, and I hope we can figure out a way to squeeze a few more years out of it. As, as for Bill Raftery, um, those days that I did Big Monday with Bill are some of my greatest, uh, most fondest, I should say, not greatest, but fondest memories I have of the sport, going into Carrier Dome with 30,000 people on a Monday night to play Georgetown and going into Madison Square Garden on a Tuesday night, sold out to St. John's Seton Hall and 
Wednesday night you're in the Cap Center in Landover and Georgetown's playing Villanova. And all, it just was a remarkable time in college basketball that I was fortunate enough to have a front seat with, 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 with Raph sitting next to me, which is, uh, again, in college basketball, there's no better voice than Bill Raftery. I'm as, I'm as, as a Syracuse guy, Mike, I'm thrilled that you said Sy- at the Carrier Dome first. That was, that's an excellent little, uh, little, uh, uh, well, that was, you remember those game, those games up there? They were they were something to oh, behold. I was there. Um, I was there for Villanova, the, the one where they quote unquote broke the record, right? The thirty four thousand six hundred forty six they had attendance for Villanova, uh, Syracuse, and I think two thousand ten. Um, was mm-hmm. was a really fun atmosphere to be a part of the first Duke Syracuse game when when Syracuse is a member of the ACC. That was a that was an incredible um, environment. Do you miss the old days of 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 when when college basketball had conferences and 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 guys that would stay for four years where you could build rivalries and build storylines? Like you just don't get like Chris Mullen versus Patrick Ewing anymore and and Pearl Washington. No, he- yeah, again, I know I sound like the old guy saying things were better in the old days, but college basketball was much, much better in the, in the old days than it is now. Um, the, the Big East is it, – it's not the Big East anymore when you're talking about Creighton and, and schools like this that are involved. Um, yeah, college basketball has really changed. Again, I was very fortunate to go through the 80s where I did the home games for the Celtics and, and would go two years and lose two games at home uh, and then – when the Celtics went on the road, I would again travel to the Carrier Dome or the, to Spectrum. For a while, it was in Philadelphia. To just big time city, big city buildings that were sold out and and big games that people wanted to see. And and again, there were there were close rivalries like St. John's and Seton Hall within like about five miles of each other. Um, none of this stuff that exists today. I, again, I couldn't tell you five teams that are in the Big East anymore, other than Villanova. I couldn't really either. I, I graduated from Syracuse in 2012, so it's not like I'm far removed <laughs> from it. Do you ever feel left out? I feel like everybody goes back to this sending in Jerome call and just remembers Raftery was on that game. I feel like you get left out of that. You were right there as well. Yeah, I, I know I was. Um, yeah, that, that is kind of funny when that came up this year. A lot of people called and said, geez, that was you on there, wasn't it? I'm like, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. <laughs> Legendary. Um, yeah, we, we, we did. We had – uh, we had some great moments in, in, in that Big East. Uh, Madison Square Garden for the tournament was was a scene for four days. It just owned New York City. Um, unlike even anything like – you have to compare a Final Four. And I've, I've seen Final Fours in, at the Meadowlands in, in New York that um, didn't rival at all what the Big East tournament was in Madison Square Garden. So, yeah, that was it was a great time to be doing college basketball, and I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time and between – Sitting with Tommy, and uh, I tell you what, I, I tell you quickly what I used to do, and this is how good it was. I would do. You remember the Celtics used to play on Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday all the time uh, at the Garden. So I would do, I would do a Celtic game on a Sunday afternoon. I would leave, and I would go to do Big Monday on Monday. I'd do a Big East regional game on Tuesday. I'd come back and do the Celtics on Wednesday. I'd go do another Big East regional game on Thursday. I'd do the Celtics in the Garden on Friday. I would leave from Logan Airport at about 8 o'clock on Saturday morning and do a noontime regional Big East Jeez. game. And then I would drive, like if the, if the noontime regional Big East game was on at Seton Hall, I would drive then to St. John's and do a Big East game that night and then come back and start the week over again. So I'd, I'd do eight games in seven days. And I did that <laughs> oh, for, like, for uh, probably six weeks in a row. And all it was the, just the best. All it the prep just, work, Mike. How did you even? How did you sleep? Did you well, see, that's one of the things sleep? that you mentioned, though, that was good is because guys stick around and didn't necessarily leave so quickly. You, you had a, a one or two or three year base of doing them, so you knew who they were. 
So from a from a prep work and a homework point of view, um, there wasn't really a whole lot to do. And when you're working with Raf, you know, uh, you just you just leave Raf space and let him go. All right. Mike. Occasionally tell people what the score was. Right, right, right. <laughs> Mike, I could do this for hours. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, we're all very lucky as Celtics fans to have you be the voice of the Celtics. Uh, I can't wait for next year. I can't wait for you and Tommy on the call. Have a great summer. Relax. Take some time off. And I, I can't wait to hear from you again, Mike. Thanks for the time. All right. Thank you. Today's episode of Celtics Beat is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best sleep one night at a time. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so why would you be uncomfortable? Casper products are designed with you in mind. Everything they make supports any type of body. Not sure what mattress is right for you? Start with the original Casper. With over 20,000 reviews, it is quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. The Casper is equipped with multiple supportive memory foams, and it regulates your body temperature through the night. And Casper sells more than just mattresses. They also sell sheets and pillows to ensure a better overall sleep experience. They do it all at affordable prices because they sell directly to you. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-a-trial. If you don't like it, no sweat. Free shipping and returns to customers in the U.S. and Canada. What are you waiting for? Get $50 off select mattresses by going to casper.com slash Celtics and using the promo code Celtics at checkout. Again, that's casper.com slash Celtics. Use the promo code Celtics at checkout for $50 off select mattresses. Mattresses, terms, and conditions apply. Let's get to Derek Bodner. Uh, Derek, before we – I mean, I would assume you know why you're here, but before we even get into this unbelievably crazy story, uh, do we need to reevaluate some, what, what some Twitter eggs and what random people might say to us now in, in our mentions? Like, not maybe for me because I don't break news. I'm not a guy that – I'm not a beat writer like you are, but uh, maybe we need to reconsider what some people drop in our mentions every once in a while. Well, I certainly need to reconsider who I mute and who I block because I had of the four accounts that were used as burner accounts, I had one blocked and one muted. So I uh, I missed very uh, very serious breaking news I could have found out if I would have just uh, just been a little little less liberal with the block and mute button. Yeah, sometimes I get annoying though. Did it, did did you get anything from Eric Jr. or any one of those accounts when uh, and just kind of brushed it off a little? Uh, no, I mostly just thought they were um, annoying people who were. Yeah, you know, a little bit overly defensive. That's all I I I, I, I got from that. Um, I didn't. I certainly didn't look at anything and be like, I should I should pursue that story. Uh, you just there's so many Twitter eggs and Twitter people, and and quite frankly, you just don't expect anybody close to a GM to act like this that you don't even consider it to be a to be something in, to worth investigating. You've been with the, you know covering the Sixers for a couple of years, Derek. Uh, I, I got to ask you this: Is this one of the craziest years you've been around the team? Oh, it's not even close. I mean, this is the craziest story I've ever covered, and the Markel Fultz story was the second craziest story I've ever covered. So you add those two together, and oh, by the way, mix in a you know a fifty-two win season with a twenty-four win improvement and a, a run of the second round of the playoffs. Uh, every you combine everything into that, and it is far and away, without any equivocation, the craziest uh, season I've been around. And really one of the craziest stories I can remember in quite some time. I agree with that. I remember like that. So the day it came out, I remember like seeing it on Twitter for a second, but ignoring it. And then later on at night, I had to go, I was on a a podcast. I was, I was, I was uh, interviewed on a podcast, another Celtics podcast. 
Then after that, I was doing some production work at the radio station I work at. I was like 9.30 at night, and I'm going through some stuff, and I'm uploading things, and I'm looking for you know music tracks to put behind what I'm, what I'm doing here. And you know I'm going through my Twitter because I don't really want to do that stuff at 9.30 at night. I'm going through Twitter. And all of a sudden, you know, I see a lot of people reacting to the story. So obviously I have to click it and I have to read the whole thing. And, you know, half hour later after I digested the whole thing, I couldn't even believe what I had just read. I, I, I was shocked. I was stunned. I, I was laughing at points. I was like, holy cow, I can't believe that somebody would actually do this kind of thing. I couldn't believe it was real. What was your first reaction when you first read this story? You know, my first reaction when I clicked on the article, saw the headline, and started going through maybe the first two or three paragraphs is this is it, it's clearly a joke. Like this is, is, is satire. It's joke. It's something. Cause you know, the ringer can sometimes they can go back and forth between serious analysis and, and a little bit more of, uh, of funny jokes or type stuff. I thought this was very clearly going to be a joke. And then you get three or four or five paragraphs in and you're like, like Holy crap. This is, this is real. Like they're serious about this. And you start reading some of the um, reading some of the evidence that they've compiled, and it's it's pretty compelling stuff. And it was just like you sat there for an hour with your, you know, pretty much slack shot with your your mouth wide open, in pretty much disbelief at what you had just read. I I mean I I just I kept going back and forth. I'm like, who's who's the culprit behind this thing? Is it you know did Hanky expose this? Is it somebody in the front office of Philly? Is it is it you know is it Danny Ainge? Is it LeBron James? Maybe like my favorite my favorite conspiracy theory is that it's LeBron because he wants to go to Philly and wants to get the Colangelos out of there because him and Jerry Colangelo you know they don't have the greatest relationship. But and LeBron is seriously consider considering going to Philly in the off season. Like he got a favorite because we have no clue. Who this? Who is behind at least the the dump and who's the leak behind the entire story? You got a favorite conspiracy theory for me out there, Derek? Yeah, I mean to be honest, because I I, I cover the team, my first my first thought was okay, well we got to figure out, and by we I mostly mean the Sixers. We've got to figure out whether or not this is true. What's the validity of these claims? My second reaction is then what's the you know what's the impact on the team? So who kind of was the tipster has been pretty low on my mind just because it impacts the team less. I mean, it could be anyone that is disgruntled with Colangelo, whether that's a previous regime, whether that's even the current regime. It could even be a, a Sixers fan who, quite frankly, a lot, a big portion of the Sixers fan base never really opened up to Colangelo. Part of that was because of the you know, adulation that the previous GM and Sam Hinkie had, and part of it's that Brian just never really opened up to the fan base. It could be something like that. A lot of people were really annoyed at how Brian Colangelo arrived in Philly with Jerry Colangelo, his father being appointed as a special advisor coming in, them not really running a real GM search. They, they interviewed a total of two names, Colangelo and Danny Ferry, during that search to replace Hinky. So a lot of people were upset with what looked like a, a pretty serious bout of nepotism. So I think there's a lot of theories. It could realistically be anyone, you know, pretty much anyone in any of those spectrums, and that includes a lot of people. Because like I said, Sixers fan base just never really opened up to them. Are you buying that it, that that uh, Colangelo's wife is the is the person behind the accounts at least? I know her. It, it, it's come out again. I've tried to capture everything, and like the internet has kind of played detective here and broken some things down and and gone like kind of way above and beyond of like, the line of duty here and like trying to actually piece this thing together. And the most recent thing, at least that I saw, was that you know it might be Brian Colangelo's wife whose name is attached to these accounts. Are you buying it's her, or do you think it's still Brian? I am buying that at least somebody else has tweeted from at least one of those accounts. 
uh, because there we went back and we look at some of the timestamps and one of the tweets, the Eric Jr. account, which is the only one that is still open, was tweeting while Brian Colangelo was giving a press conference, like the exact minutes um, during pretty much the entirety of a of a 20 minute press conference. Um, and he, you can see that on TV. He clearly wasn't holding a phone or anything like that. So it was pretty compelling evidence that at, at the very least, at least one other person had access to at least one of those accounts. Whether or not that means Brian Colangelo had no knowledge of any of the accounts, I don't know. Uh, there could be, you know, there could be more to it. But I believe there is at least one other person involved. Did Brian Colangelo have any real association with it? I don't know. I think the most compelling evidence that he at least had knowledge of it is the fact that those burner accounts, um, you know, the ringer notified them of two of them. The other three got shut off within 20 minutes. And the Sixers, the story claims, the Sixers didn't contact anyone other than Brian Colangelo. So for him to get to the bottom of that in 20 minutes would be really impressive detective work, which kind of tips you off that maybe he had knowledge or at least an inkling of who might be running those accounts. How hard has it been for you to kind of separate like what might be fact and what is fiction here? Well, not only that, but what might be real evidence and what's kind of just speculation. I think a lot of people right now have an outcome that they want, especially Sixers fans who are all up in my mentions. Um, but a lot of people right now have an outcome that they want, and they're taking the evidence to connect to that outcome. And look, there's a lot of compelling evidence to the outcome that I think a lot of people assume that this is going to have, and I get that. But as a journalist, you kind of have to step back and say, okay, what's actual real evidence? What's compelling evidence? What's proof? and differentiate what all those three are. And I think that's probably been the hardest part of the story. Has it been annoying for you to actually devote a lot of time to this type of story? I mean, like, you know, look, this it was a phenomenal season for Philly. There, I think I would assume that everybody would agree they're a little bit further along than I think people realize at this point. Again, three seed in the Eastern Conference, all the way to the second round uh, of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh, you know, a loss in five games to the Boston Celtics, but there's still a ton of talent there. Again, the LeBron thing is kind of lurking, but yet here we are. First couple of weeks into summer, uh, you know, the season hasn't been over that long for Philadelphia, and yet here you are trying to put Twitter pieces together. I would assume you probably would be better set and better off doing something else, Derek, to be honest with you. I mean, the NBA draft is in three weeks. The most important free agency period and, and probably the history of the franchise is in a little over four. And I didn't sleep Tuesday night because I was reading tweets from a burner account. And I didn't sleep Wednesday <laughs> night because I was reading, reading tweets, for, or not tweets, but comments from a discus user. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit annoying. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, you don't think at this time of year is going to be part of your job. And quite frankly, there are more useful things to be doing at this time of year. And, but more importantly, you know, the BDA Pro Day is out there in Los Angeles this week. And our general manager of the team is out in Philadelphia defending himself about Twitter activity. So it's really and, – and, and who knows who's going to be making the sales pitch to LeBron James on July 1. So it's – really annoying from my perspective but it's really damaging from the team's perspective and that's probably the far bigger it, it is a far bigger story do you think colangelo survives this thing or or, or do you think that he's going to end up getting the boot here i i think it's very unlikely that he survives this thing i mean look regardless of whether or not he had he had knowledge of the accounts and even regardless of whether or not he tweeted any of the tweets the damage done to his reputation the damage done to the trust um, one of the reasons I, I really believe that it was at least somebody close to him, and again, the internet has kind of provided compelling evidence that his wife at least had a hand in this, but the reason that I'm, I'm pretty certain there was somebody close to him are the contents, besides the fact that three of them shut down within 20 minutes, are the contents of the tweets 
And, you know, there's a lot of the way I always phrase it when you're around a team on a daily basis, you pick up a lot of background information, stuff that you're not allowed to report, stuff that you certainly can't attribute, but stuff that, you know, because you're around the team frequently and and you hear whispers of 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 strategy, of, um, you know, philosophies, of rumors that you hear. And some of this, the contents of those tweets were very specific and stuff that had never been reported. So for somebody to guess that, just some random person to guess that on the internet is, is very difficult. So at the very least, you have maybe what is an accurate representation of Brian Colangelo's thoughts and information, confidential information, including health information that is now out in the public sphere, which by Brian Colangelo now acknowledging reports are, I believe Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Colangelo has acknowledged that it is his wife. How do you trust this guy? How do you go to LeBron James and be like, look, we won't, this won't happen again. How do you go to Kawhi Leonard right now, who is has a real big, you know, debate disagreement with the Spurs over the nature of his injury and with how that information was disseminated? How do you then go to him and be like, "Look, I know this happened over a year and a half period, but it won't happen again." You just can't do it. It's this. It's a league where credibility and trust is very important, and regardless of whether or not he had any real knowledge of it, it's going to be extremely hard for him to win that back. And I always say. There are a lot of qualified GM candidates out there, and there's only 30 positions. And supply and demand for that really dictates that, look, if there's something out there that might prohibit you, perhaps permanently, from doing one of the core aspects of your job, which is gaining trust, it's really hard to keep your job because of that. I like that you brought up the Kawhi thing. I wasn't even thinking about that, how, yeah, the the the, the whole injury this year and how it's a, sort of a mystery and where is Kawhi and how that was a big question and there was a lot of you know radio silence from San Antonio for most of the season about what was really going on there. You know, to, to factor that in to what's going on in Philly is an interesting parallel. I, I didn't even think about that. That's nice. And, and like you know, I just find it interesting. Like, how do you clean up the relationship like with with Embiid a little bit? Because like you know, obviously Nerlens Noel's not on the team anymore. You have to worry about whatever he's going to say because you don't. He's not playing for your roster. The same with Julio Okafor. Yeah. yeah you know, leaking that kind of information out to the public is not a good thing. And I mean, I'm not sure if there's a HIPAA violation involved there or not, but at least you have to deal with him in your locker room with Embiid, a guy that's like the face of the franchise between him and Ben Simmons. Again, the future is very bright, but there was some not great stuff said about Joel Embiid uh, and and how, it, you know, Ben they, they, they praise Ben Simmons and the fact that he's, you know, maybe quote unquote more professional. Uh, I think I would worry the most about Embiid because, again, I think he kind of, is the key to how far and how big the ceiling is for the Philadelphia 76ers. Like we know, we know that Ben Simmons is one of the what, top 25 players in the NBA already at age you know 20 years old. Embiid kind of raises the bar, I think, for Philly a little bit. I would, I would be a little more concerned on maybe damage control of Embiid. Have you been able to talk to anybody about how he is feeling right now? Oh, I know. Initially, he was frustrated that night, and I think he's walked that back at least publicly to give Colangelo a chance. You know, I think one of my low-key favorite tweets, well, first of all, a favorite tweet by one of these burner accounts was debating whether or not his collars are normal, normal size, which is that just, was amazing. It's just perfect. That was amazing. But my, sec- my second favorite tweet is one of them was, was um, criticizing Joel Embiid for chasing models. Yeah, and this all yeah. came out on the very same night that, that Ben Simmons is reportedly dating Kendall Jenner, which is just the irony there is fantastic. That was amazing. Um, no, I, I think there is some very serious mistrust right now among the Sixers top players. And I think that's completely valid. I know Brian Colangelo went on the apology tour to try to convince them that he knew nothing of it, but especially now that again, coming back to his wife, you know, that these are, um, 
you know, these are, are, are things that maybe he was he was thinking privately. And again, when you now talk to him in the future, how do you trust that what he's telling you is true? He's, he's just got a very tough job in convincing people that he can he can regain their trust. I'll get you out of here on this, uh, Derek. What's the next step for the Philadelphia 76ers? I, I mean, I agree with you. I think Colangelo has to go at this point. Um, you've mentioned Danny Ferry. I know I know David Griffin's name's been thrown around. Do you have a favorite candidate as the potential next GM of the Philadelphia 76ers? I mean, I, I think my my preferred candidate is, is actually neither of those two guys. I wouldn't, especially coming off of, I think Danny Ferry is a candidate because they, they interviewed him two years ago, which was only a year removed from his own controversy. But I think going from a controversy with Colangelo to a controversy with Ferry would be a, I, I would, that, that is not the path I would pursue. Um, I think my top candidate is Mike Zarin up there in Boston. I don't know if he has interest. The rumors were that he turned down the Sixers in 2013. They're obviously in very different place right now but he's also a you know a lifetime self lifelong celtics fan and then if not gerson roses of uh of houston i think is another real strong candidate a guy who was gm in dallas for about three months before he he kind of got wind that maybe the power structure wasn't going to work out how he wanted it and and left but i think he's a real qualified candidate as well it will be interesting whether or not they conduct a real thorough job search just because of the timing of this and like we said with the draft three weeks away with free agency now under a month away. Do you have time to go out and be as thorough as you normally would? Or do you then pursue a guy with experience? What, what a lot of fans might label a quote unquote retread, but a guy with experience and connections who can jump in and hit it from the ground running because you want to make sure you go out there and you appeal to LeBron James and you have those connections to get those meetings and get those, get those talks and really accomplish what you want. It's going to be, it's going to be a fascinating if they end up, determining they have to go in another direction it's gonna be fascinating to see which direction they go um i yeah this is gonna be even with the nba finals going on right now i mean it's a really you know 1a to 1b storyline here what happens in philly uh the next couple of weeks is going to be absolutely fascinating that's Derek bodner senior writer for the athletic in philadelphia uh he covers the 76ers he hosts the beat on sports radio wip down in philadelphia Derek, thanks for the time buddy uh good luck with this I mean, I just again, I sympathize for you because I know you have, you have much more uh, important things to do right now instead of trying to play Twitter detective and figure out what's real and what's not. Um, good luck with the offseason, man. But we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. And that will do it for this episode of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. No questions today. This episode has already gone super long. We don't need to do any more of this. Uh, we'll answer more of your questions next week. Uh, again, Adam will be back soon. Make sure you stay tuned to see uh, when he comes back. Again, it'll just be a couple of weeks from here on out. Uh, but I want to thank a lot of people before we get going. Remember, today's episode is brought to you by Casper. And after you're listening to this podcast, sponsored by Casper, make sure you check out the Casper podcast Sponsored by Casper. It's an entire podcast about Casper. Sponsored by Casper. Available now on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Some thank yous to hand out. One, Mike Gorman, who, again, it's a lifelong dream to talk to Mike. I, uh, as a lot of you love Mike, uh, have been, have grown up listening to Mike, and it is a complete thrill for me to have a conversation with him. Thanks to Derek Bodner from The Athletic in Philadelphia and WIP down in Philadelphia as well. A uh, big shout out to the, my help this week, Nick Gelso, who not only is the CEO, was my producer this week. Larry H. Russell, our executive producer, uh, to Adam, who has given me a lot of advice over the past couple of weeks on how to really hand, not handle the show, but a couple of topics we should hit. So thanks to Adam, thanks to John, thanks to Larry, 
Thanks, Nick, and all of you out there in the Celtics universe. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for being here today. We'll be back next week with more great Celtics talk right here on CLNS Media. See you soon. And if I'm ever at the crossroads and start feeling mixed signals like Morse code, my soul start to grow colder than the North Pole. I try 